Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. How old are you? It's a simple question, I suppose. I myself am 25, which means I'm just old enough to think that I know what I'm talking about, generally not old enough to actually know what I'm talking about. It's an interesting conundrum. I suppose I've reached the age where I somewhat know that I don't know what I'm talking about. But the fact that I think that I know what I'm talking about is the reason I'm talking to you today. There's there's an interesting edge to that question, though, that I've been pondering. See, it's not in my mind just how old I am, but it's, it's also another question. What is the oldest thing I have within me, with me, around me? What is the age with which I surround myself? The age I seek to embody. Ah, and see now, age, age has a, a fascinating multivariant usage in our language. Because we live in an age, a time. The oldest thing I, I have with me right now is probably my pants, which are at least 20 years old, maybe? I don't know. Hard to say. I don't know exactly. And they're not in the best condition. But I suppose that's pretty typical with clothing. You make it for the, the day you live in, the time you live in. You don't need it much longer. In my home here, I have some things that are older. In fact, this home that I live in is older than I myself. So there's some additional age conveyed there. The device that I'm recording this on, the device on which you're listening, well, that's that's newer still. Probably made within the last 10 years, if not more recently. But there are things we have that are much, much older than that. I think the oldest thing I have in my house is a coin from the early 20th century. It's a penny because back then, pennies actually meant something. They actually had value. And nowadays, well, not so much. If they'd uh, saved me a 20, well, that would have that maybe done something, but still. Who's going to hold on to a 20 back then? That's a, that's a lot of money. You're going to use that. But, see, that's the thing. That's as far back as it goes. That's as much history as I have on me, with me, here. The world passes so quickly. The things we have are so terminal, so temporal. They come and they go like smoke that disappears, that disseminates into the air like incense spreading around and so 
we have some semblance of the history of former days, and every now and then we can gain a whiff of it, a scent, uh, some, some small memory of the days gone by, but it doesn't affect our daily life. We don't let it disseminate into ourselves. But that's one of the values of incense, actually, is when you have a really good incense, it diffuses and fills the room and well, defines how you interact with the space. It does call back memories. It does bring forth a different sensation. There's fantastic smells that can come with that, but there's also sensations. I've gotten to experience the benefits of things like essential oils uh, in some forms, and my wife is a huge fan. I, for my sake, like the old-school diffusers that incense provides, and have gotten to experience some of the positive effects that it brings. And incense, that's, a, that's an older thing, but none of the incense I have is particularly old. The pieces of my life are knit together by the age in which I live, by the time in which I live, by the people and thoughts of the world that I'm a part of. Now, don't hear me saying that that's necessarily bad, because a keen listener might hear some tone of judgment in my voice. If there is a tone of judgment, it is equally upon myself as upon the age I live in, that, well, we don't value age the way, we, the way that the ancients did, the way that people before us did. But, to be honest, how could we? I live in a city that's not more than two, three hundred years old, here in Rockford, Illinois. Should have probably checked that before I started, but it can't be much older than the treaty that settled the people here and moved the indigenous people away, but, ah, oh, see, there's a, there's a thought. How long were they here? Who knows? Who, who really does? No, they didn't keep records. They might have some oral traditions. As for the nation in which I live, well, we trace our heritage back 250 years. 1776. That's where we really became a people. But, but what is that? 250 years is a breath. It's a blink. It's a blip. Even if you operate under the appropriate Christian worldview of the age of the earth, it's still nothing much. Men lived that long before having children in ages gone by. And we think we're so special. Perhaps, perhaps that's my real judgment. It's that despite us living for so short a time, more and more, in our obsession with 
creating new, with finding the undiscovered. We put ourselves in a position to disappear from history. Tell me. Don't tell me, actually. You can feel free to tell me if you, if you know me, and I'd love to have a conversation about it, but think to yourself. Perhaps that's better for a podcast. Who's your oldest known relative? And what's the oldest memory they have? And again, who was the oldest person they ever knew? And what was their oldest memory? And was it from the place where you live now? Does it have any similarities with the way that you organize your life? Has the long train of history that ran up until that person's life affected you at all? Except for the happy, glorious accident of your being here? Now, accident's a terrible word. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, says the Lord. And in your book were written every one of them the days. My days. And so, to a certain extent, yes, we, we, we have to live in the moment. Ecclesiastes provides a fantastic, fantastic explanation of how struggling against time is not going to go well for you. Man will die. We all die. And the things we pursue will pass with their use. But in this age, uh, see, a different word, in this eon, in this stage of life uh, of, the, of the earth itself, that is the way that things operate. They, they come and they go. But is that, is that what you wish to tie yourself to? The comings and goings, the ebb and flow of the ways of the world, the ages of man? Well, this, this does not seem wise. I do have something slightly older. I've got a book, a lot of books, actually, but I've got a, a, one book in particular written, well, it's a compilation of writings that goes back far, far further back than my country, than my people, so far as I can track it. History book, poetry book, it's great. To latch myself, to tie myself to those ideas, that seems much wiser especially as a young man, without a heritage, without a history, except that, except that, that book, that book which was passed down to me from my father, not the specific book, okay, I have one that was given to me by my father, but it's not, it's not the actual volume that matters, it's the words, but what matters therein is, how do I attend to them? It does you no good whatsoever to have some useful thing sitting on a shelf somewhere that you simply lock up behind closed doors and 
hoard to treasure as an asset to sell to someone else. Storing up wealth, well, how is that ever going to do you any good? You can't take it with you. But what you can do is pass on something better. You can do good. Sure, you can't take it with you. But you can do good with it. And should that not be our aspiration? To seek the good. And if that is our aspiration, should we seek the good of the age in which we are dwelling? Is good temporally locked? Does good depend on the age in which we live, or are there absolute transcendent goods? To return to the original thought, how old? Well, how old is the oldest thing you can handle? That coin doesn't do me nearly as much good as the tree in my yard. Much older than myself. And trees may, in fact, be the reason that I'm thinking of this in the first place. A tree will tend to live a very long life. Each day coming and going. And with some trees, uh, a day is significantly shorter than it is for us, relative to its entire life. I, I think about this partially because with because of children. Now I'm jumping around a little bit, so see if you can follow. Every day in a young, newborn infant's life is almost as long as their entire life. By the time they're a week old, well, now it's the next day is one-seventh of their entire experience of the world. The, the sights they see are remarkably impactful. And they imprint on the, on the memory of the child so deeply. Now, they will grow through it, and you can't... You can, but you can't ruin a child by messing that up too terribly. You can, you can traumatize them, yes, and there are effects that that will go through, but the child will will be un will be disproportionately affected by what they experience in their youth because each of those days feels longer tell me if you've experienced that if if the days seem to fly by and i've heard from older people my grandparents talking about how the days seem to be so much faster they come and they go well, they've lived so many of them, how could they not? Each day is such a smaller fraction of everything they've experienced. And yet, each day is still the same length. Each day still has the same potential, but it is we who have changed. And if we do not tie ourselves to something much older, how could we feel the weight of all those hours. Now the the tree, the tree will feel that weight, but not not as much as we do. Each day comes and goes, each season comes and goes, and it waxes and wanes appropriately until the day it passes on, passes 
its seed further in further on and continues but the the life that it lives it it does not live relative to the comings and goings of our preferences trees aren't substantially different than they were 2,000, 3,000, 8,000 years ago. A tree is a tree. And because it is a tree, it has not minded the ebbs and flows of our, of our times. I, I don't think that means that it doesn't feel the changes. You know, we can see in tree rings the the good years and the bad years, whether it grew or whether it conserved energy. But it endured. It weathered the test of time. Do not move the ancient landmarks. It's another, it's another proverb. The idea there being that if someone put something there, put something into place long before you were born. They put it there for a reason. They put it there deliberately. The world that you were handed was handed to you because it was considered a good world by those who came before you. And what is our aspiration? To move, to destroy, to change, to adapt, to evolve, to improve. I wouldn't say improving is a bad instinct, but what are you holding on to? What is your culture? What is your being? What do you have that will actually endure long enough for those who come after you to embrace it as well? I had the the very good fortune when I was younger to go to a museum and to see busts carved 2,000 years ago, almost, 1,900 years ago, I think, to be more, more, more precise. A bust of, of Nero Caesar in particular caught my, caught my eye because the paint that was originally on it was still visible. And Nero was a redhead like me. Now, that doesn't give us any common brotherhood of any kind, but what struck me was that he was a man. Now, that is, of course, if I assume that the history that we, I have received is accurate, that wisp of smoke, that taste of, of incense from, from days gone by is reliable, but far, far back, generations upon generations ago, some man lived with the skill to capture the human face, the human head of, of a man who wielded such power that in an age before any of our communications, he ruled over an empire more powerful than anything we have today in terms of relative power 
over a space. It was unbelievable. And at his whim, things could occur. This does not make him a good man, but it is worth remembering that power comes and he is dead. Power goes, ebb and flow, vapor of vapors. I was fortunate as well to see before that something that didn't stick with me as much as it could have. Some pieces of parchment at a different exhibit on a different day earlier in my life. I. I got to see words on a parchment. Now, that doesn't seem like terribly much because, well, they're just words. But they're not just words. And I couldn't have really understood it as much as I would now because I've endeavored to develop some understanding but they were words that I, that I know. And perhaps a, a better reference point would be a much more recent discovery, a much more recent experience with similar words. About 300 years after the birth of Christ, there was a copy made of the second epistle of St. Peter. And that copy is on display at a museum. And when I saw it, I was thoroughly enraptured. And I spent maybe an hour. It was thrilling sitting and working through this, this text with my elementary understanding of Koine Greek and trying to trying to read what it said without the text to compare against to see simply if I could if I could make out the words and the thrill in my heart when I realized that I could in fact read this that this author from 1700 years ago from before before this country was founded, before my, before my fathers came to this continent, before they, before they left whatever place they lived in, before they were even a people, perhaps, this man wrote. This man wrote down something that mattered that my father passed down to me. Words. Words of truth. It struck me that in particular on this document there was an abbreviation that I hadn't hadn't expected and made a lot of sense once I saw it paper wasn't quite as accessible as it is now and so they wanted to save as much space as they could and there was a three-letter abbreviation with a bar across the top of it and I thought that's very strange it's it's not there's no bar on any other section of this document and the word after it also had three letters and a bar across the top of it. 
they were the abbreviation of Jesus Christ. Yota, Eta, Sigma. Now, for any of you who have uh, the, those paraments on in your church with IHS, it looks like IHS. It's not IHS. It's Yes. Uh, Yota, Eta, Sigma. And those are the first three letters of the name Jesus. And there's a little bar across it on the top. And then the next three letters were Chi, Ro, Yota, Chri, Jesus Christ. And I'm trying to figure out what this bar means, so I keep reading. And the word God, a few words later, had the exact same bar. And every time the name of Jesus or the word God referring to the triune God was in the text. There was a bar over the top of it, confessing 1,700 years ago in the very text of the book, the divinity of our Lord. That's old. That's very old. The letter he was copying was written 300 years before his time, had been copied several times over, and this was this author's codification of a confession that endures, that remains, that needed to be remembered. There was another document in this museum from a hundred years before that, sometime in the second century AD, and it was a psalm written in Greek as well, which places it as a copy of the Septuagint, that is a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. The Hebrew psalm was translated into Greek, and then this author in 200s AD copied it down. It was beautiful to see. He had the same convention with the word kurios, Lord, the bar across the top. And not only that, that that copy was a re, was referencing the Hebrew scriptures, which which puts it even further back. That goes back all the way three thousand years ago. It begins with David, who wrote in Hebrew some text that was then copied down and translated much later into Greek, which was then translated much later into Latin, which was then translated much later into German, which was then translated into English, broadly using the original texts that they had at the time uh, available. But that, that 3,000-year-old testament was there before my eyes in an 1,800-year-old piece of paper. That's, that's time. That's age. That's old. The, the other documents I had referenced earlier, when I, which I had seen in my youth, were fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Hebrew copies of Isaiah, a prophet who wrote 2,500 years ago. And I had the good fortune 
to be discussing that man's writing, Isaiah's writings, with my pastor today, to meditate on the beauty of those words and the history, the time, and the people to whom they were given, and acknowledging that because of our Lord Jesus Christ, those words are mine as well, which puts me 2,500 years old, 3,000 years old. Why don't we keep going back? 1,500 years before Christ, or even older than that. 1,500 years before Christ, you've got Moses, the old, old covenant, the Sinaitic covenant, the writing of the book of Genesis, which ties us even further back to the creation of the world, to the first words ever spoken on this planet, on in this universe, spoken to a world of darkness, spoken to a void, and bringing forth everything that since those first words, the trees have continued to come up in their seasons, and men have lived, and men have died, and time passes on further and further, and every day we think we are the coolest thing in the world because we've invented some new toy, some new operation, some new way of being. What are we thinking? It's not that we have to accept anything that's older. It's not as though the old is somehow virtuous, but if it lasted this long, give it a thought. Maybe the people who've done it, the old way, know a thing or two about sticking around. Maybe we should respect that wisdom. We should. We should respect that wisdom. It is a conundrum for me, whether I should write or whether I should speak. And I'm choosing to speak because the tools have been given to us here. But if I'm going to speak, I wish to drive you back into those things that will last longer than my voice, will last longer than the tools and toys that we have here, but will not outlast the human race, but that will not outlast me. This is the podcast of the boldly immortal. I am Athanasius. I am the undying. I am the immortal. I have, in Christ, through baptism, through his death and resurrection, defeated death already. This is imputed to me. This is given to me. This is my born-again birthright. Immortal life. So while I'm here, I am not to be conformed to this age, to the comings and goings of the world as it is today, but to be, how's he put it, transformed by the renewing of your mind, to be 
reborn, to be renewed, to be tied back to something older, to something true that surpasses all our understanding, to the words of God. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, the word of our God, the words of Jesus, and the words by which this world was formed, they will not pass away. The words of forgiveness, the words calling you to repent, good grief, those, those aren't going to pass away as long as we need repentance, so, so let us cling to them. Let us cling to those ancient things. Let us respect our elders who may have seen things that we have not, who know of a world that we cannot experience. Let's listen to what they leave behind and judge it based on the full corpus of what we can understand. Let us not mock our elders, but judge them by their elders and see if they pass the test of time. Whose words have lasted longer, Plato or Solomon? Give it consideration. And whose words lasted longer still than both? Whose words are promised to endure until the end of days? Whose ways? Tie yourself to that and be timeless. Thank you to all of you who listened to the first two years of this podcast. It's been good to have some time off, and I'm looking forward to being back and sharing my thoughts. I'm not sure how regularly this will come out, but I do hope you'll stick with me as I continue pondering through these ideas and see what ultimately comes out from it. If you have any suggestions for things you'd like to hear or feedback, uh, I'd appreciate you sharing it. And if you know me, just reach out by whatever resource you got. And if you don't, uh, you can leave a comment on this on this podcast and I will be glad to review it. So thank you so much for listening.